Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Universal Dialect Show. Uh, today's going to be a great show, and it's also a milestone for myself. It's show number 20 for me, um, and I couldn't have a better guest on for my, my 20th show. Uh, Ron Moorhead, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, Carl. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Um, listen, um, you're very well known for the Sierra Sounds, and I know that that, that whole uh, incident wasn't something where you just kind of went up in the mountains, recorded some sounds, went back home, you know, and, and that was it. Like there, there's more things in depth to that, to, to what happened. And and yeah. I would imagine it spanned more than one day. Is that correct? Oh, more than one year. Yeah. More than one year. Okay. All right. So normally, uh, you know, I, I introduce the guests. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that you are, you're an adventurer, a researcher, you're an author, as far as I know of two books. Um, the latest one is the quantum Bigfoot and a producer of the Sierra sounds. So normally what I do is I, I have the, the guests go into their origin story and then what led them on the path. But it's obvious what led you on the path. Right. So just give me a little brief bio of sure. your, 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 your beginnings and then what led you to the Sierra Sounds and then get into that story, please, if you can. I will I'll start right now. Me to you. Ready to go? <laughs> rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. Right. Ron. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, 1971 when I was involved with the. Uh, well, I had some friends that were hunters, and they uh, one of the guys came out, and he got frightened off by these sounds from some kind of a monster up there. He didn't know what it was, but he saw the huge footprint. He just took off, and the other guys uh, were my friends, but I wasn't a hunter at the time. He came out and told the wives, you know, what was going on up there, what the Johnson brothers had told him about was true. There's some kind of a something up there that's, that's not what's supposed to be around. <laughs> Anyway, he uh, he wouldn't go back and check on the other guys because they were a day late coming out. And uh, so the wives were worried. He, he invited me to go back with him. So that's how I got started in 1971. So I started going back uh, every chance I got. I did experience them then and started experiencing them. And, and we all started taking tape recorders. It wasn't until 1972, the winter of 72, when we got snowed out. This place is very remote. It's, it's eight miles in the wilderness, 8,400 feet in the uh, elevation in Sierra Nevada mountains. And, we all started recording the things. It was 1972, the winter. Uh, uh, Warren Johnson, the leader of our group, he wrote a letter to Ivan Sanderson explaining that we always have multiple encounters with these big giants of some type. And we referred to them as Bigfoot because they had a big foot. And uh, they're just big people or big somethings. And uh, even uh, Ivan Sanderson, who was a cryptozoologist at the time, thought it was probably somebody pulling his leg. And he he did send a letter off to uh, Peter Byrne, who was in Oregon at the time, and Peter Byrne thought the same thing. You know, nothing like this happens to people. They, they see a Bigfoot more than once in their lifetime, they got hit by a lightning twice. Right. <laughs> kind of like one of those things, you know. Yes, sir. And that's pretty much how most of it happens. But you know, our story is a little different. So he contacted Al Berry down in uh, Redding, California, who was an investigative reporter working for a newspaper at the time. And, and Al, Al thought the same thing, you know, but I'll go down and talk to these guys to see what they got. So we let him listen to some of the things we recorded in 71 and ended up inviting him in. He wanted to go in. And at that time, we didn't know these guys were all thinking we were hoaxers, you know, but uh, Al Berry got up there and he realized just how far in it is, but he was still, still looking for who could be pulling this off. He was an investigative reporter and he was, I guess I found out later, he was going through our packs when we were out walking around doing stuff like that, trying to find out if anybody could be pulling him. Anyway, he got caught up in it, and uh, he, he wrote a book, and uh, it, uh, he ended up taking the, uh, the sounds to, uh, to different people, uh, uh, trying to 
it was 1976, I think it was, 75, something like that, trying to get someone, some academia somewhere to, to study the tapes and see what's going on, see if they were real or if somebody could have been pulling that off. And I uh, first went to Dr. Lieberman at Brown University, who thought he was just a student and was uh, mad at him for failing him or something like that. <laughs> so he thought he just pulled a leg. Anyway, he, uh, he, he, he never, Al never went, never knew uh, Dr. Lieberman at all, but he went to several people that were just giving him the runaround thinking he was, went to another one in Washington, an academia a PhD there that thought he was a, a student trying to hoax him. So there's nothing supposed to be able to talk like these things were talking and uh, have sounds like these things were having up there uh, unless you're human. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, he finally got a Dr. Curlin at the University of Wyoming to take the sounds. He said, I just want to know, unbiased, you know, what, what they are, if they're real or if they're, they're not. So Dr. Curlin spent a year studying on with a student and uh, he, he came out with a, a paper on it. I gave a speech at the Anthropology Unknown in uh, British Columbia at the University of British Columbia in 1978, I think. I forgot. Anyway, somewhere, somewhere in there, yeah. <laughs> somewhere in the seventies, yeah. Right. So he uh, he uh, said that showed that they were uh, outside the human range and represented an animal compared to the human vocal cords. Anyway, an animal old eight foot tall, and uh, he said they were inside, outside, below, and above uh, the human range. And he showed this on a graph in his in what he wrote. And it came out in a book, Man Like Monsters on Trial. And as, as thorough as that was, and as good as that was, it just wasn't enough to get these uh, these PhDs out of their paradigm thinking these have to be, if they're out there at all, they have to be some type of ape that hadn't been discovered. And so that kind of uh, went, that's as far as it went for a while. He kept trying to find more, some, somebody that would uh, give us more information on the sounds. And Al had the original, you know, he, his sounds were, he did something different. He, he uses, different cassette tape brand new and each time he went up there to do this and uh, we were all recording but we'd go back at home take our cassettes transfer on a reel to reel and use the cassette over again right <laughs> that's not right. a good thing to do if you're gonna have no to because they da it damages after a while right it's yeah just, right the quality. so anyway uh, uh he he got curlin's report and uh after that we had a crypto linguist in 2008 uh scott nelson a uh, two-time graduate of the transcription school uh, in Monterey, California. And I had him vetted very well. He's uh, uh, got a real good letter back from the, the teacher. He says, if a two-time graduate of this school, he's more than qualified to transcribe a language. And Scott Nelson transcribed a language. Now, he didn't translate it. He just transcribed it as a language by the human definition of language. That's very critical, very important, because only humans are supposed to have that, according to Dr. Lieberman. So if that's the case, where well, you got uh, Professor Curlin, who, who says uh, it's outside the human range representing an animal, and you got a, a Dr. Benson, I think it was, at Texas A&M, who also corroborated that, but he didn't do a full study on it. He just didn't have time. He was a teacher there. And, uh, but he said it did represent something that sounded like it was about eight foot tall. I also went to uh, the people that did the Nixon tapes. Uh, uh, he... He tried to get them to look at it, but they don't do that stuff for free, but they did listen to him. They said, you need to get somebody to take this on because uh, it's too powerful to have been a human making this. So anyway, there's kind of the background of it. 
uh, right. the studies done. And so uh, to me, it tells me that these things have a human component to them and uh, they have language. And that's also been kind of said in a couple of DNA studies, you know, there's a human component to the DNA. And yet academia, uh, classical academia, <laughs> who've been trained within parameters, you know, yeah. They give it thumbs down because I said it has to be contaminated if it's got human DNA in it because only humans, you know, this is human. So anyway, there's where I go with it. And uh, so I wrote a book, uh, Voices in the Wilderness, on my experiences up there. It comes with a, a download of the sounds when I get to the context. Or my sounds are also available on CDs, as people know. But uh, I produced the stuff because I thought the public should know. It's been a long time now. I've been doing this for over 50 years, so studying this and reporting it and talking to people about it. I traveled really around the world, uh, looking at different things. In Peru, Bolivia was probably my big eye opener when I was seeing what was on down there. Uh, so anyway, uh, there's where you are. Uh, I I just want my story to get across because where it led me was because of the, the strangeness that was involved up there. And there was a lot of strange things goes on. Al Berry had a master's degree in science, by the way. He said, don't talk about the strange stuff up here. Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, no one's going to want to talk to you, you know. So, so we didn't for a long time. You know, and I went on talking talk in different places about this. And, uh, but I do now because uh, really uh, too many people are reporting the same thing that we went through up there, uh, seeing strange things, hearing strange things, uh, can, seeing these Bigfoots disappear, seeing how does that stuff work? Well, he said, whatever you do, if you talk about this at all, talk about science, you know, stay with science. Otherwise, you just got to stay with science. You're going to lose people, right? Yeah, you... you lose people. So the classical science didn't answer the stuff that we was, uh, hit with up there, but just things uh lights not just lights i saw the ufo one time it was that's not right. that's not a big deal a lot of people see those nowadays but but uh how they do what they do and that's i think i mentioned this in one of my books uh how we thought the camp was being tore apart out there and we looked out there later and nothing had been changed i mean the barrels were still cabled to the trees and we'd taken up there with the mules and uh keep in mind this is eight miles in the wilderness and it's just uh, really imposing to get to, and nobody's around up there except us. Right. These things yeah. were there, you know. So, so really, they kept coming back, and, and we saw you just different things, and uh, I get into all that stuff. But it, it led me into quantum physics, and that is a science. And it's not the woo-woo factor. It's not the paranormal. Right. It's not that at all. It just answers a lot of those things that are there. So, so Ron, wanna, real yeah. quick, if we can go back just a little bit, because, uh, all right, so you went out because <laughs> an individual that was with his friends got scared and left his friends behind, which goes to show you how good of a friend he is. He left them behind. But anyway, well, they, they were scheduled to be there. Right. Well, were... So so he comes and he gets you. But prior to any of this happening, what was your stance on the paranormal and Bigfoot before this? Oh, uh, I didn't have a stance. I, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on their radar. You know, nobody's looking for Bigfoot up there. That camp had been, uh, right. uh, these Johnson brothers been going up there since 1958. So it was really a well-established hunting camp for them. And they How, how remote was that? Eight was miles in the wilderness from the closest okay. place you can drive to. And uh, it's just uh, really imposing to get there. So 
that's what's ludicrous about people thinking we just backed our truck up, had a six pack of beer and recorded these sounds. You know? I understand. <laughs> and, right. Right. Because yeah. it was treacherous terrain. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, yeah. I mean, I've had horses go off the cliff with me up there and I've had stuff like that go on. I've had broken ribs. You know, we've all had issues going up there and it's just uh, imposing, but still, once you get there, it's like paradise. It's just really interesting place. So. And, and were there water sources nearby? Cause I yeah, heard there was, yeah, okay, because her Bigfoot's normally around water sources well, there's a lot. a spring right there, a lot of uh, uh, huge boulder outcroppings uh, up there, too. We were just below the tree line, 8,400 feet where we were. And so when you when you got called out there and you went to go find these friends with that individual, were you auto automatically having incidents happening? Like, what was happening when you first... Uh, like, did you so. find them? Did you find them? Did you find those friends? Were they cowering under? Oh, no. They were cowering at all. They're hunters with big rifles. <laughs> right, 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 right. These guys are <laughs> thinking they're just an ape up there. If it comes after me, I'm going to shoot it. You know? right. And they would have. I'm sure they would have. Because you hear the original sounds. They're very aggressive. Uh, no, uh, we went up there. I would just look around every tree because my imagination is the only thing that could affect me then. Because what could this be? It's a monster, as far as we knew. And, uh, so when we got up there, the guys, they were scheduled to come out a day earlier. They would just stay there longer because of things going on. And so that's when I saw my first footprint. And that's when I heard the sounds that they had recorded the night before. And, and uh, fortunately, uh, Bill, my good friend, who I ended up packing with by mules and horses, so like a, uh, let me ride his horse out because my iron hard legs that I thought was in good shape we're rubber at that time. <laughs> right, right. You go it to 8,400 feet from the, from sea level, you know, and, and you think you're in shape, but the air's lighter, uh, your muscles get taxed, and correct turn turn into rubber or jello. <laughs> or, <laughs> but it's uh, it's been an adventure, I got to tell you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, so there's there's I I've heard these vocals for the longest time. Um, I want to say I first started hearing them probably in the 90s. Um. When they started, like, because to me, like, there was a time where you, like, maybe, uh, like, In Search Of was, like, the only show that would show things like UFOs. And that's the first time I saw Patterson Gimlin, the Patterson Gimlin film. But after that, there weren't a lot of shows. And then in the 90s, like, like all these shows exploded. You had UFO Files, History Channel had a bunch of, like, documentaries. And that's when I first heard, like, the Sierra Sounds. But they only played very little, little pieces of it. And they only, like, maybe spoke to you ver very little. But it wasn't until like maybe the 2000s when I saw more interviews with you and I started hearing more of the sounds. And there's a part in there where you're sort of communicating with this creature. Now, normally people, when they hear this, they're quiet. They don't want to interact with what's out there. They kind of don't want to give away where they're at. What prompted you to want to like go back and forth with these creatures? Well, it was 1974 when that happened. And Correct. part of that, we, we'd only heard them from inside the shelter. Got glimpses of them every once in a while, but uh, they wouldn't start really making their chatter. And it's really rapid chatter well, after we got inside the shelter. And uh, you step out and try to see them, and they just wouldn't make a sound. You didn't know where they were because it's dark. And did so, you um did you coin it samurai chatter, or did that come from someone else? I come from Matt Moneymaker, actually. Okay. BFRO, yeah, he heard them in 1995, just before he started to be a BFRO. He said it sounded like a samurai chatter, and he put it on his website, and that's okay. how actually Scott Nelson got a hold of it all. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, a trip out, you know, because it's very kind of rocky, treacherous. And anyway, like, then they talk about that, but it was uh, exciting. 
Yeah, it's been a big part of my life. And so what, what was the area like when you went into that camp? Uh, was it a big camp? Because I know that you guys had, uh, not you, but I know that you, when you got there, and I could be mixing this up, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys had built like a makeshift, sort of like a hut. So was that already established before you got there? Or did you guys yeah. create that yourselves? No, when you well, it was created uh, probably in the 50s, late 50s, 60s, like by the Johnson brothers. It's just a group of trees that grew in a circle and you wrap cable around them and laying deadfall up on the cable. Then you strapped it across the trees up on top and lay deadfall up there and put heavy plastic on that and then put alder brush on top of the plastic. So it looked like a big beaver's nest. I got a picture of that on my website. And uh, just that's what it was. Uh, the doorway was just two trees that grew in a, like this and uh, right. showed the, the dead uh, tree in between them for a doorway. Then we wrapped a cable around it and cabled it to the inside. So thinking that would stop anything. Uh, I'm not sure it would have. But did, but did anything come, come close to that hut? Oh, they were, they were real outside the hut. Yeah. But they, and you, everyone, Johnson brothers got a glimpse of it one night. Uh, I, I've, I've laid there on the sleeping bag waiting for a glimpse of one, you know, to break the, break the light in the, the moonlight in the, wall there but uh never like you hear them walking around out there and uh hear their chatter and their grunts and all those sounds they make and but i never never got to see the break in, in there so right i wonder why i didn't when you hear it walking out there but you don't see anything break the, the moonlight that was kind of uh always a puzzle to me i should see that we should all see it but there's more up there we should have seen that we couldn't see and I get into that my quantum Bigfoot because we only see within frequency. Everything is energy, frequency, right. vibration. So light's frequency is 420 terahertz to 770 terahertz. That's the only frequency we humans see in. Some animals can see outside that. But right. there's all these other frequencies out there, and they, they have something in them. I'll, I'll get into that and also our olfactory sense, how it's limited. You know, we don't see near like a, or don't smell <clears> like <throat> a bear or a dog does, but we don't hear like a dog does. They hear an ultrasound right. and big animals communicate an infrasound, which we don't hear, but it affects our feelings. Uh, so uh, I, if I can just convince people that we don't know everything there is to know, some people think we're humans. We got to be the monster, monster people on this planet right. if anybody is. We've only been given dominion. We haven't been given domination. <laughs> uh, so we, we have the right as humans to experience a lot of stuff. And, and that's where I'm at, I guess. I'm just right. And a lot of times we, we experience things we don't we don't know. And it's okay to not know. Yeah. Well, you know? What do you learn from it? That's <clears throat> Exactly. Exactly. So the, the sounds, um, when I hear the sounds, a lot of them sound like super close. So were you outside of that hut recording these sounds and also... Were these incidents happening at the same time, meaning at nighttime, or the, were they happening in the day, night, you know, when you were out there? Yeah, the sounds were mostly happening at night, and they only happened while we were inside the shelter, except for that night in 74, uh, when I started interacting with them, because by then we weren't afraid of, I mean, I wasn't afraid, and uh, just me and Bill, my friend, was there with our horses, we packed some supplies in, and, and before we ever got there, these things were already there, and as soon as it started getting dust almost dark you hear the rock popping the whooping sounds and we had learned from the past you just sort of be still and keep doing what you're doing because if they don't think they got your attention they're going to do 
come in a little closer, you know. <laughs> so we just basically you know, kept doing. I was fixing our meal, and uh, Bill was putting the, the uh, packs away from the mules, and and uh, they all of a sudden they started whooping out at me, and I started whoop back, you know. <laughs> I started trying to mimic them, and uh, that's what I did that night. I don't know what they were trying to say, but. I, I got my recorder out of my saddlebag and I started recording it and uh, got some captured that sound when they were yelling out at me and not just yelling, but saying something. I asked the crypto linguist because it wasn't uh, an aggressive type chatter like we'd had in 71, 72. Right. Um, it, was, it was more of a communicative type. He said it's the same vocal mechanism because they're, they're speaking a language there and it's their language, whatever it is, very complex language. So I've often wondered, uh, you know, could they just be an alien of some type or, or are they in a category of these Bigfoot things? So they have a Bigfoot, their foot is different than the Patterson foot. I mean, as far as the tracks they make. And we got these same tracks over years up there. What's, what's the difference between your footprints and the Patterson's? They're bigger, number one. I mean, oh, wow. Unless you found a little one in the snow like we did one time, uh. a little nine, nine inch one. But they're splayed. They're, they're like, uh, you know, uh, splayed. It's five toes straight across, very little arch, if any. Hard to tell the right from the left, because when they walk, they walk one in front of the other. Right. So and, so uh, no, mid-tar- no mid-tarsal break? Well, can- I, I'm not a foot expert, but uh, I never mm-hmm. let, I never gave those to Jeff, Jeff uh, Meldrum, because I see no upside to it. He's going to compare it to the Patterson film. I, well, I shouldn't say what he's going to do, but right. I know he's asked saying. me, and, and Al Berry, he said, there's no upside to that, you know, because... They, everybody believes in the Patterson film and the tracks that the Patterson film left with the mid-tarsal break and all that, which is good. I got one of those, but um, they're, they're not even, they don't look like ours at all. Right. Ours are different. And I've had a lot of people draw me pictures of what they've seen in different places mm-hmm. and they look like ours. So I think there's different types of these things. I think some of them have been diluted down from inbreeding with indigenous people. I agree. And I think some of them are more human-like and that's what I think the, Patterson film was it's more human like it's got the almost a human looking foot just bigger so uh, I think they've been bred down they've been here for eons and I believe in, in UFOs and aliens like most people do now because the government says we can right without yeah again <laughs> again and we can believe in them now <laughs> mm-hmm. so so anyway we found out that uh, Roswell wasn't really a weather balloon we found out all these stuff a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork now and and talking about the insiders who talk about this stuff. And and it's interesting how much stuff is being concealed by our government. But yeah. what I find is uh, if the government can control it, they won't, they don't want the information out. So they hide it or make fun of it or something. They couldn't control what was going on in, in Roswell. So they hit it. You know, they tried to tell people something else. Right. And a lot of people bought it all. That was just a weather balloon. Until well, they scared right? their troops into, into not saying things like they did to me. So... <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I, I get into uh, all that stuff and right. so 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 Ron, how many how many at how many do you think were at that camp of those of those creatures? Oh well, we know there was three at night for sure. When I, okay, when I saw one, and there was uh, I think there was four the year before because we got four different size prints out there that we had uh, saw. And all right, so so um okay, because I was uh, listening to um. I think you were at UPARS in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, and you did a little seminar there at UPARS, and you had uh, made a joke about, and I don't know if this happened during the Sierra Sounds incident, about this a female arguing with the male, and the female was won the argument. Is that correct? 
That's what the uh, specialist that listened to the sounds. Okay. Uses. Nancy Logan said that. Yeah, it's it's on the CDs. The two of them. Is it on the CDs? Okay. Arguing at the time though, you don't know what's yeah. going on. You'd, they might be looking for the salt and pepper to put on us, or right. they, you know, or they might be arguing over the food we left for them. We we don't know what the argument was all about. Right. I wasn't seeing them. The, they were right the outside the shelter. Yeah. The reason why I brought that up is because when I heard that. It, I don't know if you're aware of Wes Germer. I'm pretty sure you know who Wes oh, Germer is. Wes. Yeah, sure. yeah, Wes, yeah. awesome. He has a great show. There's a show, I think it's episode 515, and it's right. called... Uh, are you aware of that that show? I that, that episode? Actually, I talked to that lady personally. Yeah. Did you? Great. Oh, my God. Okay, I was going to bring it up because that, to me, that's probably his best show. Just, just, yeah, it's a great show. And the fact that she said that they, the female was arguing with the male essentially mm-hmm. to stop the male from probably hurting her um and then when you said that at, at the you pars it, it i made that connection so what have you talked what did she say did, did you find anything well, else out with that? a lot of it's on the on wes's program but uh, i got information from wes wes thank thanks wes for this he he gave me a connection asked if it was all right for her if i contacted her because he played my sounds to her and she said yes very similar to that you know <clears throat> but the screams was what she drew me a picture of what it looked like and sent it to me. And she's, by the way, she's a linguist. And, yeah. A uh, graduate. It's no seven different languages. I mean, the lady's no, she's a credible person. She's legit. She said, yes. Yes. You know, very legit. But she's seen these things. And one was out in the ocean. Uh, the male was out in the ocean pulling up seaweed and throwing it back to females. And, and she explained it all to me and, and uh, probably a little more detail than she got on the program, but the West's program. But it was just a uh, very compelling. But what she said was when it was screaming, its neck would swell out. Oh, wow. That's air sacs. Yeah. yeah. A lot of primates have that. And uh, that was interesting to me because uh, Meldrum told me, Jeff Meldrum uh, told me years ago, you know, a lot of primates have, like the howler monkeys, they have these air sacs and they can squeeze and make their sounds project. Because we wondered why as close as these things were, because we were really trying to get a look at them and try to trick them with a camera or something. And they're always a step ahead of us, but we were underestimating what they were and their intuition and their intellectual scale, I guess, what you call it, because they're just uh, very, very intuitive uh, entities, whatever they are. Right. And they could project their voice, right, to make themselves sound closer than what they are. Well, that's, yes, that's what, that's, that's the idea. And that's what this thing was doing uh, when that woman saw it and she drew me a picture of it and sent it to me and it was, uh, my earplug is falling out, so. <laughs> it's okay no worries no worries man you're good man <laughs> uh, yeah she was very very interesting she talked about she told me about you know after she got back to the hotel how the police were called in to get a report and they called in a special guy with who uh was in plain clothes he wasn't a policeman but he was investigating he said, you saw a bear you, did, you know trying to talk her out of even and don't even talk to him so that's what they do if they can't control it they're going to cover it up and try to hide it so that's just our government for us. And, uh, right. I don't trust a whole lot they say anymore. I, I dig into it myself. So you, uh, you're aware of Les Stroud, correct? I'm pretty sure you know Oh, Les I know Les too, yeah. Okay. So uh, Les, okay, so Les has done the show about Bigfoot. He went out with this individual named Todd Standing. But what he talked about, which I found interesting, is when he started to believe more into the subject, he started to reflect back on incidents that he had in the past that he thought were just general things like other animals but Mm -hmm. because of his more future experience or more modern experiences 
he realized, okay, that they weren't like regular animals, like hearing growls and, and hoofs and, and, and bluff charges. Did that happen to you at any moment? Cause I know you oh. used to hunt prior to that. Were there incidents that you kind of like, maybe that was a Sasquatch back in the days? No, I really never thought of it. I mean, yeah, you, you put it off as something else. I mean, right. our brain has a way of only working with what it knows, right? Correct. And uh, so it has to fill in the blanks if you see something. That it, with, it has to fill in the blanks with what it knows. So until you know something else about what's going on, you don't really know how to fill in that blank. Your brain will. No, I wasn't looking for something else, and none of those guys were. Well, no, not that you were looking, but more of like, you know, now that you know the behaviors of these th- of these creatures, were there any incidents in the past that you're like, oh, when I was 14 and I was out in the wilderness, this happened to me, and I thought it was a bear, but maybe it wasn't a bear. No, I, okay. I really never thought that much of it, because whatever it was, it was, and I can't go back and I got you. It, you know, so. Have you seen an actual Bigfoot at all? Yeah, that 1974, when I was conversing with him, I saw one. I saw the one doing the samurai cry. I don't just, I mean, he, he shoot full body? Yeah, like well, full, that's, what I, that's all I say, full body. What, what Can you describe what it looked like? A full body. <laughs> no, just a big, uh, big, upright something, uh, humanoid looking. So no details? Well, just floating. It was kind of like floating, really rapid down right. through the trees to where the other two were. We think it's a, an adolescent and a female. And that's the one I was conversing with mostly was the female down there. And I think the little one, which I got recorded, it's, it's in my sound things. And uh, he, I think we were getting bold and she sounded like she was disciplining. The, I mean, that's what we were hearing. Right, like come back here, you know, you're going too close. Uh, well, I don't know, but we've, also, we've heard that sound before, but we this is, a, this is the first time I ever got on a recording. Yeah. And, uh, 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 so that's not a salt one. It was just right. really rapid through the trees from where it cried out that samurai cry and then shot down the other two. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because when you know a lot of people describe it differently, like how you said, sometimes they say it, it looks like something like a prehistoric man. Some say it looks like an ape, and then some other people make other descriptions. So I, I, it seems like you didn't really get to see that that much detail other than I didn't. No, I, didn't. Okay. I, I just seen a humanoid. Or, I say humanoid. So large figure shooting down <coughs> through the trees the moonlight was out it was earlier in the evening too right and, uh, just uh one of the nice just thrilled me because my friend bill saw one too at a different time that same night and uh, we hadn't seen them really before uh as much as we tried to get pictures and things like that we just couldn't out box on these things we just watch us set the trap up or something i don't know they come a different way uh but yeah it was just big like i say it was fast it was Almost like it was floating down through the trees there. Which, yeah, what, what's what's up with that? A lot of people describe this ice skating, gliding yeah. sort yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, it's like, a, golly, how they do that? Well, it has to get into. They got a mastery over something that we're trying to understand through quantum physics. Really, I think we'll right. get into that. So let's get uh, into it. Let's get into that. Before. Yeah, let's get into the because I know that you wrote a book. Uh, how does quantum physics relate to this? spirituality and bigfoot and some of the characteristics are the invisibility cloaking and also the the telepathic nature of that can you get into any of those things sure as tesla said uh tesla uh, everything is energy frequency and vibration if you can understand that you can get into quantum physics because that's what quantum physics really goes down comes down to is we are energy at the most minute level 
And once you understand quantum physics, uh, it'll lead you into uh, understanding how things work out through the universe, according to Dr. Christopher Blair at uh, West Texas A&M. Everything from the atom to the cosmos works on the laws of quantum physics. We only live within our three-dimensional environment here, which is Newtonian physics. So you have to graduate that through your consciousness and get into other, try to imagine the end of the universe. Can't do it. Uh, you just have to conceive that it's there. Uh, well, it isn't. There could be no end, right? How right. could there be an end? So that's, that's where you got to understand that you don't understand. And you get into uh, even Dr. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, he said, it takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. And you get, I get into all these scientific uh, people that are making these statements. You got, um, can one cloak, can they disappear? Well, there has to be a science behind that if they can really do that. But I've heard people say this for years, you know, I've heard, oh, someone disappear. Someone's very credible sounding. So they say that, then you kind of push them aside. You know, well, I don't do that anymore because I think there's a law behind that. And the law is anti-gravity, anti-matter, excuse me. And uh, Dr. Uh, Paul Dirac in 1933 won the Nobel Prize for antimatter. And it's substantiated mathematically uh, that energy and, and matter are interchangeable. Okay. Well, that's, a, that's an Einstein thing, too. You know, he was energy. And uh, so if energy and matter are interchangeable, maybe they can change their matter into energy. The energy won't have any substance to it. It just goes because we're energy and we just our body's going to give out someday and we're going to change to something else and that's what stephen hawkins said too that energy doesn't die it just changes form so if these things have learned how to manipulate uh, the frequency so they can so they can change their energy into or their matter into energy they would go out of your perception and they wouldn't leave a track anymore either so that's my answer to that they do they can cloak I mean, I, I, I know some very, very well that saw this happen. And, and that's when you really got a man. <laughs> and then I followed a trackway one time that stopped. My daughter had right. a sighting. I started seeing where it could have went and uh, could not find where it could have jumped to a tree, jumped to a boulder, jumped to foot. I couldn't find another track anywhere. And uh, that kind of wakes you up a little bit. Well, maybe these people have got something going on here. So you get into quantum science, how, how uh, antimatter works. And... Uh, you know, uh, they can do that. If they can find the frequency, you can change matter. And Einstein says that too. So if you can find the right frequency of anything, you can change the matter. Whether it's your own illness, if you can find the frequency of that, you can change it. And that's how I think spirituality and quantum physics are synonymous. That's how I think the masters did their miracles, was through the laws of quantum physics. That's how I think we can do it if we can ever evolve into that understanding of how it works and how right. our consciousness really delves into stuff. And how it can anyway but you do that through uh disciplines that we have to do and that's meditation basically so, so where do you start with quantum physics what, do, what 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 are some of the like if somebody wanted to get into that where would they start my book <laughs> like like, <laughs> like quantum physics for dummies or something <laughs> well yeah if you just want to get into quantum physics there's, there's a lot of a lot of books on quantum physics but get get the ones for like the 101 the simple ones so it doesn't throw away because it's like Schrodinger's cat, you know, it's either dead or alive. You don't know until you until it's observed. You try, that's what right. quantum physics is. Nothing's real until it's observed. Well, then, even the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, that kind of fits together with me. So 
uh, and let's see what Tesla said that what one man calls God, another one calls quantum physics. So they are synonymous because you, you, you get into spirituality and we're all spiritual beings, whether you like it or not. Now, I'm not religious, but I was raised religiously uh, in a church. I don't, I don't even go to church anymore, but that doesn't mean we're not spiritual and don't catch, catch what's really happening. Same here. Same here. But <laughs> I like for things to be talked to me through my pineal gland just by meditation and then try to get that in coherence with your heart, which has its own brain. But the biggest thing now is getting your heart, which is your gut feeling about something. Get that in, in coherence with your this brain up here, so that because it's going to control the body, and if the if this tells the body to do something, that's what the body should do. Uh, the brain has to be rhythmic, and you do that through balancing chakras, and just you know, all that stuff is not devilish, just because some religious say so. You know, it's just not. It's something that's been taught in, in Oriental and in ancient medicine and ancient. There's just so much out there that people could look into. And, uh, a lot of that's suppressed, though, right? A lot of that information. Again, if the government and whoever's in leadership can right. control it, they suppress it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just say that over and over because that's what's <laughs> happening now. They let out so much information that they think we can handle, that they can control. And they can't control those aliens now. They can't control this stuff with the UFOs. So you're going to see more and more of it, I think, because the aliens are allowing it. They're coming in and, because we're getting too close to somebody pushing the wrong button. Uh, on this planet and i think uh i think that they don't want us to do that they don't want us to destroy this planet this planet is too it's been destroyed before almost completely and we start over again you know right uh these things are uh, are not wanting that they, they want this planet to be whole so they're working try hard trying to find the frequency of those that will open up and, and try to mind speak to them and tell them do this or do that Right. But you got to learn how to listen to that stuff, and if it's really coming from something that's positive, but you'll know that if you're if you're balancing yourself, you'll know what's right and what's wrong. So what what is what are some of your UFO experiences? Can you uh, get... mainly the one I saw at camp, which I, I saw with my own eyes, so I know that's that's what it was. Just a big blue ball comes down, coming down, controlled from the sky, and uh, that was the same time the Bigfoot stuff was happening. So. Uh, I don't know we lost it behind the trees, so I don't know what to think of that. Other right, it had something to do with all the strangers just going up there. Sometimes you hear a big woozing sound, you're like a big tuning fork going on, and it's daytime. You look around, you can't see the source of it at all. So, what do you do with that? You know, you put it up on the shelf because you can't figure it out. But was something cloaked up there? Was it a UFO? I don't know. It, it was so big, it could have been something like that. But something was making that sound. And uh, we could not find the source of it. Uh, a lot of strange stuff. I, I think David Pilates, a missing 401, the hunted. Yes. Yeah, was up there in uh, 2018 uh, filming me. He went up there. I've known David for a long time. A good friend of mine. He he uh, went up there to uh, to film the site. And I'm glad I did because everything was on fire at that time. But he recreated this, this light rod that we saw. My wife and I saw going through the just going through the forest there. Uh, what do you do with that? I mean, you don't know what it's all about. It's you just some type do. of energy form. It's definitely controlled. It can't just weave its way in and out of those trees without some controlling it. So, and orbs are, are a form of energy, I believe. And you can see those uh, quite regularly up at Joe Hauser's Montana Vortex. If you got a camera, you may not see them with your eyes, but uh, a camera's lens will pick up more than your eyes. 
Right. Like I say, your eyes have limitations with frequencies, and our camera's lens reaches out a little further. Some animals can see better, too. Like a cat's eye, a cat can see better than we can in the dark, especially. So, so you've worked with David Politis. What, what have you learned from him? What did I learn from him? Yeah, what have you picked up, if anything, from him? Any, anything that you probably didn't know before that he maybe, maybe brought to light? Because well, he's I a just, very fa- fascinating guy. He's he's. Yeah, I just came back from his uh, his uh, premiere showing of of four one one the UFO connection, and uh, that was in Phoenix, Arizona. I just got back from that a few days ago, and uh, yeah, I've known David for a long time. He's uh, he's going to speak for himself on any issues, but I am glad he's trying to step forth with this because he's got a lot of credible stuff in this film. I encourage anybody to see it uh, when it comes out. I think it's going to be out in December. And uh, it's just, uh, it's the UFO connection. Is there yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good. And I've, I've thought for a long time, in fact, uh, Huffington Post in 2012 had an article that came out of the Eureka Times, I think it's Eureka Times, a paper in 1888, really old. Uh, rancher and some Native, Native Americans saw this big uh, moon come down, three crazy bears jumped out of it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> bears oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's what what would you do your brain's only gonna let you you know see what it understands and knows right well it's like with alexander the great when he saw ufo he called it a, sh- a shield mm. um i think christopher columbus saw ufo and he called it like a candlelight so that's their vocabulary that's they they don't know what unidentified exactly. flying object and is even so. the anunnaki could get into how they correct you know, the uh, Sumerian's cuneiform uh, was made, you know, the rock writings, first known language, really. And uh, that's where really the stories came from, biblical stories that we have in our Hebrew Bible. And uh, uh, it was translated, and again, whatever the government wants to translate in their way, there's right. uh, it, a lot of history that just people just don't look into that they should maybe I in my opinion and uh, I have looked into all that stuff and uh, just it's a, it's a fun thing to do uh, my big eye-opener was probably in Peru when I saw the uh, the enigmatic structures that were down there and the skulls the longer nice. skulls with uh, Ryan Forrester and been there a couple times on a different two different missions with, uh, with some uh, scientists we were away in the skulls and they have about 30% more brain matter, these elongated skulls do. Right. They have a single parietal, most of them do, just one parietal bone. We have two, one on each side with a sigil suture, or none down there, two little holes in the back of the head. I got an exact copy of one of those, by the way, up here that Taylor made for me. And it's just uh, something's been here with higher knowledge, better knowledge than what we have now. And they've done some amazing things you see those megalithic structures down there in, in cusco and up on the mountain out of cusco there right. Panda, where where humans can't do that today how they put these rocks boulders over 100 ton together just like a jigsaw puzzle i mean no mortar between them and when you see that stuff with your own eyes it really opens you up a little bit to realizing something vast knowledge has been here before because we can't do that Right, precise, like so precise. Just, anyway. So, Ron, um, the, the I know that Les Stroud has talked about the uh, his experiences and the telepathy part of it. What do you What do you think about that? Do you believe that that these creatures can speak telepathically? 
Yeah, well, anything can if it gets on the right frequency. Correct. You can. Well, I can if we get on the right frequency. And you get these intuitions and these feelings that something's going to happen, like maybe the phone rings or something. You think the phone's going to ring, it's going to be Aunt Mary or somebody on there. And sure enough, the phone rings and it's Aunt Mary. Well, how's that happen? It happens through the quantum entanglement type stuff. And you can, they can quantum entangle you. I mean, the one time Warren Johnson and I stepped out of the shelter up there thinking we were going to see one of these things because we really wanted to see one at the time. And, and uh, we realized they weren't going to eat us or carry us away or hit us or something. So you know, we'll just jump out there through the doorway right quick. And one's got to be behind that tree because we're here. It's so close right there behind the tree. So we start walking up towards that tree and we both both just get frozen. I mean, like a force field, I relate <laughs> to it. <laughs> you can't go any further. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we weren't afraid. We were just frozen and not cold frozen, just stopped, you know, and uh, we could go backwards. So we did went back into the shelter. As soon as we got back in the shelter, it starts making sounds again. I brought that up to a scientist one time. He said, well, well science can't work with your fears. Of course, he's classical. You know, I trained in the parameters of classical science, which if they don't get out of that box someday. You know, science is supposed to learn things. It's not supposed to stop you from telling them something. And I said, you know, it wasn't that. So he said, well, maybe it was pheromones or infrasound because those things will affect humans. Yes. And infrasound, uh, I mean, pheromones only work within the same species. So I put it off as infrasound. It happened to me once again up there in the forest when I was walking along. I didn't even think about anything. Just all what happened? I got froze. Just stopped the same way. And I, I couldn't, I looked around. I, it was daytime. I couldn't see a, anything. I was in the forest, but I couldn't see any source. It could be causing that <clears throat> so i <laughs> as quickly as it came it went away but i don't know what it was uh same type of feeling though it, it just strange so i think they they probably do this in infrasound because that does affect you uh, i have no doubt that they can reach that frequency of infrasound which is below what we can hear but it definitely affects humans and that's known as a fact uh, right so anyway i think they can go into ultrasound they can it, can, it may make just about anything, I think, with their vocal mechanisms. It's so expansive and so, so big. And it just, I don't know how to explain it, but they can reach, I think, any frequency they want to. And right. if they can manipulate their frequency or the frequency of matter, they could heal you, they could, they could do whatever they want. If they're not really supposed to interfere, I think, with our karma, what we're supposed to experience. Because we're supposed to experience things on this planet. That's what we're here for. That's all we're here for, is to experience things. More importantly, is how you respond to those experiences. And they're not supposed to tell you how to respond to it verbally. They're supposed to, if they're going to help you at all, it's going to be mentally uh, through a frequency uh, uh, entanglement. Right. So, so okay, people so ask me if I had that up there. I do <clears throat> too analytical. Most men are very analytical. Maybe that's why they were talking to me vocally out there, <laughs> because I couldn't understand them. I mean, well, maybe because they were just trying to, maybe they were just trying to see. Uh... Because I feel like at times they do things just to get a reaction to oh, yeah. study, maybe to study a person or, or a group, you know, well, I got to tell you this, uh, they, they, they toy with you too. Yeah, they do. They toy with you. They'll set things up to do things. And one time my daughter and I walked up there where we kept our supplies, these barrels cable, the tree up there. And we walked up there, just our backpacks and food for a couple of days and had a loaf of bread in there, brand new loaf of bread. It was we decided to go out on a day walk and I left it in my backpack, but I put my sweaty t-shirt from the day before over it because it <laughs> bears, bears out of it, you know? 
came back and the loaf of bread was gone out of my pack. The wrapper was laid on the ground there. This t-shirt was still over my pack. Not a, not a crumb of bread to be found. Of course, mouse mice could have got the rest of it, but they didn't pull it out of the backpack and then put my t-shirt back up there. And a bear would have ramsacked the whole thing, you know, so right. it wasn't a bear. Uh, that's strange. And just strange things like that happen. And, uh, anyway, they, they do that stuff to mess with you, or they just like the bread. <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> but we didn't get bread. Right, but um, do, do you, because uh, I hear people gift, do you think that's a good idea? Maybe yeah. The gifting stuff? Okay. I think so. Just make sure you set it so that you know what's really taken and not some varmint. Uh, All right tied up high in a tree or something so and uh yeah we've had uh gifted dog dogs up there it was more in the form of what we needed what they thought we needed that we would i mentioned this in my book too we would uh collect pine cones to start a fire you know they got the sap in them and boy it starts a fire like that and uh, we had this old tub up there that we used to water the horses with but we had holes in it now we, we collect our pine cones and put it in that bucket and, <clears throat> and anyway uh, we come back from a hike one day and the thing was full of pine cones we didn't do that so that's kind of a gift they, and another thing in 74 when i when bill and i heard that interaction going on uh they they had gotten to camp before we did they had tore uh, twisted off a couple uh, uh alder branches from the spring and threw them up on top of the shelter we didn't know that would have got there but found it the next day the, the what we had done that summer was we had re, re-roofed the shelter with fresh plastic and put all the brush up there but all that all the brush that we put up there had already dried out this was two fresh ones and actually that night when we went in the shelter unknowingly uh, bill dropped his dust cover off his rifle uh, and uh, i didn't see that till i opened up the door the next morning and right there was a big track just to the right of the doorway and the dust cover was laying there, just, uh, just hanging there. I mean, it hadn't been stepped on, so it tells me the track was made before we went in. Wow. Which, and, and, and also, we found a big track on the trail going in. So we knew they were around when we saw that. And uh, it was uh, interesting, probably the most exciting night I've had up there. And that's the most, like, action you've had? Well, that know? was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want much more. Well, I would. I thought maybe they were going to let us right on the shoulder and see the floors firsthand, you know. But uh, next night, they, uh, the Johnson brothers came in, and Lewis Johnson, who basically wants to hunt and get a deer and go home, uh, nice guy, though. Uh, he, he was frustrated because of all every trick we tried, they, we couldn't get a finger on him, you know. <clears throat> and uh, coming in, they started pounding rocks. They started whooping again, just like they did the night before with Bill and I. He just got up and grabbed his rifle and flashlight and started shining. You don't shine a flashlight at these things because they'd be gone in a heartbeat. And uh, he did that with his rifle. I'm going to find out what these things are all about. He was going to shoot one if he could have saw it. And uh, they were gone just like that in a flash. So that's too bad because uh, that would have been a heck of a night. <laughs> <clears throat> so do, do you believe, uh, Ron, that they can do as intelligent as they are, that they can do harm to us. Oh, sure. Like, like, like you have the, you know, the missing 411, you know, David Politis talks about that. Um, and a lot of times it's not anybody that's uh, like a threat. Like it could be a hiker that winds up missing. Do you believe that there are Bigfoot out there that are just 
messed up. They're just like, hey, you know, I want to eat well, this. Well, uh, as I said earlier, I think there's more than one kind. So there are uh, malevolent ones. Once, and I was just up at uh, Portlock, Alaska, and that filming with the Discovery Channel. Uh, yeah, that Alaskan Bigfoot uh, show. Yeah, I yeah. Think that was on four and five or five and six. I'm yeah, sure. great episode. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, yeah, those up there were reportedly killing people. They had lost 30 people out of their village. That's why they uh, abandoned it in the late 40s. And they had pictures of this. And uh, it just, uh, yeah, and you got the Paiutes, the Lovelock Caves. I've been there four times trying to get... That, that's in Nevada, correct? Yeah, they said they were being... Uh, Red, red-headed giants? Cannibalistic giants, yeah. And anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, the Pollock thing, they wanted my advice, because I'm the Bigfoot guy, right? Well, <laughs> no, there are no Bigfoot guys. I guess maybe I know a little more than most people do, because I've had my experience with them. But uh, when I flew over there, because they flew me in there by jet tankers and down then way down by a helicopter into another area. And when I was flying over in the helicopter, circling around, looking at different things, I noticed years ago it had been timbered heavily. The, the trees were big again, but not, not as big as some of the old growth that were there. And uh, from the pictures I saw, uh, they had also been fishing a lot. I mean, heavily fishing, overfishing probably. Then I found out through the stories that they were mining there too. So. I think probably they were encroaching too far and taking too much from the land. So the only thing I can suggest is, is uh, having respect for the land more so, which I think they would if they went back, but I'm not sure they're going to go back because <clears throat> they still don't know. I, I can't guarantee they're not going to get tore apart. You know, I don't know what they were dealing with because no one's around that can talk about it now. It's so long ago. Right. So it's, uh, it's, I just said, that's what I think. And that's as far as I can go with it, but they were doing all those things. So these things have a real problem with, us cutting trees. I mean, I've got so many reports over the years about these sightings being around when they were cutting trees and screaming these things, screaming when the trees were being cut. Right. Especially Jerry, for- Jerry Crew, right? Isn't he the one that uh, was coined the term Bigfoot? Jerry Crew. He was I in. Think a, so, yeah. He was part of the uh, uh, l- well, uh, lumber. Foot, but again, they're not all the same. Correct. <clears throat> I got to repeat that because <clears throat> aliens have manipulated the DNA of different species on this planet. They do that as experiments, and they, uh, I think they've done it with primates. That's what Bigfoot, I think Bigfoot's been here a long, some of them, rather common, have been here longer than we have as a, as a species. And they've probably evolved more than we have, but then what gave them the attribute for whatever they can do? Different ones have different attributes. Uh, I just believe that way, and I've done that through my research. I think we, we know that mankind has been here several times before the flood. The troglodytes did evolve, but something has manipulated them, manipulated the DNA in, in those. And, and I think they play, trying to find a species that will, that they can acclimate their species to this planet. My thoughts, because they want the planet. Do you, do you think like that's what they call the Nephilim in the Bible? Well, the Nephilim were, were yeah, angels following with a- aliens that went against what, what they were supposed to do. They are supposed to be watchers, you know, to help us. But, they were actually started <clears throat> inbreeding with uh, the human genome and messing with it. And they created the giants. And, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they were still around even after the flood. So I often wondered how that happened, but there's a, I talk about that in one of my books too, how that could have happened. And also there's a theory that these things go underground in a huge network underground of different species are down there. 
the Emerald Tablets talk about what's above us, say below. Oh, that's the the as above, so below. Yeah, that's the Hermes Trismegistus. Hermetic, yeah, right. Hermetic uh, principles. Yeah, yes, that's something to look into. But it's fine. But how do you know what's above? What's right here above? Is it below down there? Correct. <laughs> down that way. Because yep. I, I have a theory that just about everything on this planet is a type of something that's that's in the in the cosmos or or here somewhere, and not just the species that we're seeing, like a spider or a bug or something, but bigger and we have dominion here, so they are what they are right now uh, for us to learn how to deal with them. I think we should deal with all species on this planet. Trees, uh, not just trees, but things. I mean, right. I don't like to kill things anymore. I was hunting. I became part of that hunting group up there, but I stopped hunting. Uh, one, one time when I, I shot a deer, the last deer I shot, and I was there watching when its eyes glazed over and whatever was part of it left. You know, the deer was there. And I've seen that same thing on my mother when she died. Her eyes glazed over and something left her. And it's just, uh, you want to have your conscious evolve here. And you do that through, uh, I get into meditation because I believe in that. And getting into uh, trying to raise your personal frequency, your personal right. vibrational frequency so that you become a better person. And do that through treating everything, all your experiences, reacting to it with love and compassion. Uh, it's Sunday, so I could talk like this, right? Today's <laughs> a perfect day to talk about it. <laughs> Good day to talk about this, but I talk about this all the time because I don't want people to, I think, understand what these masters were saying is, you know, care about things. Uh, don't destroy things. Stop killing people. You know, we've got too many wars going on, too many people hurting other people, and that stuff needs to stop. We all ought to get in a conscious, uh, consciousness of wanting to care about things and make things better. And don't get so, don't consider yourself as a victim because you experienced something bad. Learn from that. There's no such thing as losing. You either win or you learn something. So you learn something and react to it properly and you're going you're gonna to raise your personal vibrational frequency. <clears throat> you're going to be a healthier person. That's a fact. Start eating right, breathing right, and living right, and you're going to be a better person. It's not, it's not should do with Bigfoot, but right, no, but it's it, but about. it's the truth, though. I mean, and I'm I'm pretty true, sure yeah. that they're aware of, of of what's going on in this world. I mean, they 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 live on this planet too, so you yeah. know what we do to this planet affects them too. So they're I'm pretty sure they're they're aware of what we're doing. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and they're being seen more and more. Uh, why Why do you think that is? Well, they're multiplying, number one. They're, when they're, they're coming out from underground or wherever they're coming from, where they're staying, they're coming out. <clears throat> and uh, the UFOs are being seen more and more. Because I think we're on the edge of somebody pushing the wrong button somewhere over in Russia or something. And, and we're on the edge of something major trying to happen with our economy, with, with just everything. And I think we're going to see an inundation of, uh, of UFOs, of aliens. And I think we're being inundated that now by or the media, by things, the theaters. When you go to the show, you're going to see aliens. You know, no big deal. So when we do have this happen, we won't be so shocked. There's a shock factor the government's worried about of what happens when this stuff is all out. And it's coming out slowly but surely, and I think it's coming out sooner rather than later. All right, so, so let's go back to, to Paracas. Because uh, were you able to actually see and hold one of those skulls? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is it true that, that it's missing the sagittal suture, which kind of signifies that it's not human? Oh, it wasn't human. No, not totally human. It, it doesn't have a sagittal suture. You know, it's a 
We have two parietal bones, one on each side. I should have that down here. I could show it to you. I got a copy of one. And they've also been seen with the sagittal crest because some people say, well, that's what the Incas did. They cradle boarded there. Well, they yeah, did. We know that. They didn't do that. But yeah, they did they that. They didn't get more not... brain matter. It just probably gave the baby, baby a bad headache, right? Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Exactly. But they only did it to the royalty you, the Incas did, thinking it would give them the attributes that the pre-Inca people had, which did the, the megalithic structures all over up there, especially up, up the high country, Peru and Bolivia. Tuanaku have been to those places up there and seen a lot of stuff that really opens your mind up. All right, awesome. All right, so you've also traveled to other places too, Ron. Um, well, let me let me keep it here domestically. I live in Florida. Have you been to Florida to look for the skunk ape at all, or had it, have uh, any stories about skunk ape? I'm, I'm scheduled to speak down there on the 24th of April, I think. Uh, the convention uh, that they got going on uh, next year. Me and David Pilates. I think Jeff Milner might be there too. I'm not sure, but uh, I know they got me about a month ago and got me to commit to that, so I did. Uh, no, I have not been into Florida to do that. I've been into Florida, but not studying right. anything like that. Yeah. Because they say there's differences <laughs> between the, the, the Sasquatch out here and, you know, in other places, particularly the Pacific Northwest. They, they claim that they're smaller here, but I've talked to people that have done research out here and they say they're not, that's not exactly true, that they're just as big here as they are in the Pacific Northwest. But I don't know, I just thought maybe you might've heard anything about, about skunk ape. Well, they can be different, uh, not from the same creator, so to speak. We're, we're hybrids, really want to get into it. <laughs> what created us was, was alien. Right. You can call it God, you can call it, it's very high frequency energy that has made us in his image, or their image, because it's plural, definition of God. In fact, in the uh, cuneiform, the word Elohim, E-L-I-H-E-I-M. Right, is, Elohim, uh, yep. Is, is what is termed for gods, and it's plural, and every four, every time it's mentioned, 2,500 times in cuneiform. And that's the Sumerian text, which that's where the Hebrew stories came down from. That's where you get into the study of Abraham and Sarah, where they were raised in that culture. And so they would have, he's the father of the Hebrew nation. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff went on that, People don't really follow that much. Uh, but if you want to understand, you have to look into it. Right. All right. So let's get into the connection with uh, with the ufology, because there's this meme out there. I don't know if you've ever seen this meme where they took a still from the Patterson Gimlin film and they put like a like a ammunition belt like Chewbacca. And they gave him they gave it like the, you know, the, 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 the what is it? The crossbow that he has, which signifies that, you know, Bigfoot could be alien, maybe not really originally from planet Earth. Maybe he was brought here. Do you do you subscribe to that, or do you think? Well, was... I, I subscribe to aliens interfering with the genome of a primate here, and that would have been the troglodyte, I think, uh, the caveman, and because uh, <clears throat> that's what I subscribe to. But there've been different aliens here. It's not like there's just one right. alien out there. There's all kinds of things in this universe that we are going to be privy to someday when we leave this embodiment. And we'll know. We'll know everything. <laughs> All right. Last last question, because I know I know you got to go, and uh, you know I don't want to drag this out any longer than it should be. But what what are your thoughts on the government knowing that these things exist and maybe having some sort of specimen, either alive or or dead, having like a body? 
I think they know it all, but they can control it so they don't let that out. Uh, that's my opinion. I've heard story after story over the years of the government involvement with these things. And I've heard some of it from guys that's worked in Area 51 even who have know about it. You also got the Livermore Labs, which is supposedly when the Hawkins was down there at Berkeley, uh, they had two in captivity. They just walked out through the walls. Now, that's energy. Where was this at? Livermore Labs in California. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't, I never heard that story. Well, it's kind of a, they don't let that stuff out. (laughs) How do I get it? Insiders, right? That that know about it. And uh, I have to put, you have to just try to vet that stuff to see if these people are credible. (laughs) And I usually do before I say anything. What I, my source is credible. In fact, that's what inspired uh, Stephen Hawkins to write the time. Time. Uh, he, you can't talk about that. You know, they, they threaten you too. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about it, I've not been threatened that I know of. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah if you've no, been threatened. Uh, well, we had some black helicopters fly over, but. Oh, never, well, that's that's not I good. Never, never got shot at. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> or threatened. That's, that's even better. <laughs> not to talk about it. They're allowing this to come out nowadays from right. people like me. There's a lot of people talking about it. Well, there's and too I, many of you. There's too uh, many of you yeah. coming in. There's a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm just one guy in a bucket. What do you think of Bob Lazar and his story? Oh, I like it. Yeah, I'm. I'm with him because he got covered up too. You know. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, he's, um, he's genuine in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I the, the fact that originally he came when he came out, he tried to they tried to obscure his face and his voice. So it was obvious that he wasn't trying to get fame from it because then he would have just came out and would have been himself. It wasn't until later on when people figured out who he was, then they, you know, he came out with, you know, his name and everything. But um, let me ask you about certain footage that's been out there. Patterson Gimlin film. What do you think of that? Is that legit? Yeah, it's real. And yeah. what about studied, you, yeah, second only to the Kennedy assassination? It's It's been studied a lot. And I know the guys that studied it and, uh, you know, they couldn't have done a suit like that. Now, I'm not saying Patterson wasn't trying to do something like that, but he got on a real one there. Uh, this uh, Bob Hieronymus, whatever his name is, who says he was the guy in the suit. Right. He probably was scheduled to be the guy in the suit, and he might have been a guy in the suit, but he wasn't that guy uh, or right. that person, that female. That's a real, that's a real Bigfoot. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's part human. But uh, other than that, I know Bob Gibbon quite well and uh i know if he knew it was something phony he would he he wouldn't be doing what he's doing now which is out there and about you know he's still hanging around in his 90s or like peter Byrne. peter Byrne's 95 or 96 now I yeah talked to him the other day he's still out <clears> yeah. they're getting up there you know like uh, well, we all are you know and yeah. again i guess it's most we're supposed to respond to and uh, that's all life's about sorry our experiences okay another footage is uh have you ever seen the freeman footage yeah i believe that one too you believe that one too yeah it just sounds too legitimate and i think it had also like a a baby yeah yeah all right and then um todd standing his footage what do you think of that that's that's a tough subject yeah it may be real i'm not saying what because i don't like to chime in on things i haven't really but i i know he's 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 really wanting, wanting his stuff to be out there. So I think he, I know some people have been with him and they say he really wants to 
because he's had some experiences, no doubt about it, I don't think, but he wants it so bad to be recognized that he's reaching out a little bit too far sometimes, is what I understand. But I don't want to judge him because I'm not, I'm not that person. No, I understand. I understand. It's just that, like, if if that footage is real, that's like the like the probably the best footage ever. If you if think about real, it, yeah, yeah, because of the yeah, clarity, yeah. you know how cl- clear that is compared to the Patterson Gimlin and yeah, others. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it'd be nice if that could be established one way or the other, but uh, because of the controversy around him, uh, it's hard to hard to get attention. You can't get academia to grab all of that stuff, you know. They, <clears throat> I don't want to take out of their security blanket. And you mentioned Bigfoot, and they just started laughing. Like Al Berry, he got laughed at a lot trying to get somebody to study these sounds, but it's paid off because they finally found someone that was open-minded. It would just take them biasly one way or the other to tell us it was good or bad. Because there's no 60 cycle helmet. Of course, we were told that by the IE Tybal, who studied the Nixon Watergate tapes. So there's no 60 cycle hum in it, which would have showed pre-recording or re-recording. There's no alteration in the speed, which that's what he was accused of, the speeding up or slowing down and playing something backwards. And none of that was, was taking place. He had the original tapes that, that the electrical engineer studied. And he's written a lot of papers, electrical engineer, uh, Dr. Curlin. He's, he's nobody's slouch. I mean, this guy's a professor, electrical engineer. Like, legit. High, high clearance. Yeah. All right, Ron. So uh, what's next for Ron Moorhead? Another book? Documentary. I'm writing, a, I'm writing another book right now. That's another step out there and uh, try to clarify some of these things that we've talked about the cloaking thing, the energy transfer, uh, things like that. And if there's a science back there that you can talk about, like uh, Paul Dirac, uh, when he established antimatter, people need to understand that stuff. That we just, and I'm trying to get that out in my lifetime and hope that it connects. And if this connects with people, fine, it's supposed to. But if it doesn't, that's okay. You know, I just tell you what I think. I don't, uh, I, I encourage any researcher out there to look into quantum physics because if you're only going to go by classical science and by Newtonian physics, you're probably never going to get to the secrets of this entity, why we can't find them, why all this stuff's going on, uh, how these reports might have some validity to them. Uh, you don't look into quantum science, so you're missing out on part of your equation that you need. Like uh, like Edgar Mitchell said, it takes both sciences together, classical science and quantum sciences together for clear perception. And he knows, those, those guys know. You know. But so many people want to get stuck in that box because so many academia say, well, this is where you got to be or it's not going to be real. It's like the DNA stuff, you know, the thumbs down because it had a human component to it. Well, they are part human. They're just in my mind, there's no doubt to it now because you got the, the studies that we've done plus the DNA that's been done has been discounted, but uh, I think that's all going to be vindicated. So so in, in, in our lifetime, do you think that Bigfoot will, like there will be information that comes out that, there, that these things do exist? <laughs> well, the information's out there. It's just getting academia to swallow it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> people like Jeff Meldrum are going to help because they, they're in the side of realizing there's something there because of, of his studies and all. And, and I knew Grover Krantz too. Uh, I didn't know him, but he was in the same town I was up in, uh, up in Washington when I lived back there. He died, I think, in 2012, but he never would even give me an audience. He wouldn't talk to me or Al Barrett because he didn't believe the sounds could be real because only humans can make a vocalization that forms a language. 
I so he, he put thumbs down on it, but that's academia for you. I put my hat off to Jeff Meldon, to John Benenigo, to these guys who have did stick their neck out and are sticking their neck out to this day uh, with this subject matter and trying to get academia to take it seriously. Uh, so I appreciate those guys. I was in Russia with both those two guys, with John and, and Jeff both, and spent quite a bit of time with them. And, uh, uh, for, for the Yeti? We got in Russia because you... Yeah, the wild man in, in uh, Siberia. We went into Moscow. Spoke at the Darwin Museum there and uh, had dinner with the, with the uh, uh, not the mayor, but the senator of Moscow right. and had a, they flew us way over to Siberia and met with this, uh, bust us out to this village and assure people, S-H-O-R, who Mongolia descendants, they've been seeing the wild at the Yeti. They took us way back in the wilderness in a big truck with tires on it was taller than me, through right. the roofs and all that stuff. And went into this cave and it was on the Moscow News, you know, after we got finished. It was uh, an adventure and we found a cave and, you know, looked at some tracks. But when someone takes you to a spot and tells you this is what we're doing, and then you find something, you never know unless you found it yourself. You know? I got you. And, uh, so we, we were 95%, it could be something there because it's a total wilderness area and, uh, anyway it's uh it was good the russian government goes with it wholeheartedly you know they they're into it our government's the one that's not they don't want to get <laughs> out there could be a yeah they don't want to let anything be known they don't want a 10 or 12 foot tall monster out there because there are some like i say benevolent ones who who are dangerous and that again depends on what created what what entity put the with what factors in the DNA right. to cause them to be the way they are. So it's, <clears throat> I just tell people, keep your guard up, get yourself in coherence, your heart and your brain, everything going, working right for yourself. You will know when something's right or wrong, your heart will tell you. Right. Do you believe that there's different types of Sasquatch all over the world? Like I do. So like, have, have you, have you talked about, well, not talked about, have you looked into like the Yowie in Australia? Yeah. Almasti. I, I want to go over there. I thought I was going to go over there with this production crew one time, but right. it fell apart. Uh, but yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the uh, above Bhutan and, and it's like in uh, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, this group went up in there, sponsored by uh, National Geographic. They had a geneticist with them, and they took uh, eDNA, which is environmental DNA, out of some bipedal tracks they seen in seventeen thousand feet. So uh, that and it came back. 99% human. <laughs> so the, you don't hear about that much. But there was a whole, I saw it because I know the people over there and they sent me a download of, of the whole thing before it came out. And I don't know, too many, I haven't talked to hardly anybody that's ever saw it because government don't want that stuff being shown. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing what our government needs to start doing for us if there are, if we're putting them in the office, you know, they should. But they don't want the panic to happen because there's going to be a whole lot of things happen. Uh, like maybe in your lifetime, I don't know about mine. I mean, I'm 80 years old now. And I, I hope to be around for for more, uh, more experiences and to do more of this stuff. This is all I do now is talk about right. this and programs. So it's fun and it's exciting. And I think I'm on the right trail here. But then we all think we're that way, right? Uh, Look, at least you're doing something. Um, and, and other people are doing things and eventually I think everybody's going to connect. Cause I, I think like, like you are a pe one piece of a puzzle 
Dave Politis is another piece of a puzzle, you know, Meldrum. And once you guys all get together and you put all the, you, you'll, you'll get the answers that you want eventually, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. The big deal with me, uh, I, should, I don't like to say this, uh, ego is what you get out of the way here. You can, you can do it, Ron. It's fine. You, I, I, I experience these things and, you know, I, I, I know things that some of these people just don't know because I've experienced it. They think, well, you, didn't recognize it right or you know you're uh, no drugs no nothing like that was involved up there this is all real and uh what happened to us up there i think the reason for it because they're not really supposed to mess with you like they did with us i don't think uh was probably so i could be on your program today yes well thank you for being my my 20th guest I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to make it to 20, but I, I, I oh, uh. do that. And, and it's funny because it's my 20th episode on November 20th. So oh, wow. well, congratulations. <laughs> Isn't that great? Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, Ron. Well, I appreciate um, you having me. No, it's, it's great. Uh, you're a legend. Um, and I would love to have you back on after you write your, your next book. Uh, you said you're going to be out here in Florida next year. So I'm going to see if I can make that and yeah, you know, hopefully meet you face to face. But, um, you know, I wish you nothing but the best on your endeavors and uh and thank you so much okay thank you carl good to be with all right you. yes sir you have a great day sir bye you too.